Welcome to Inspirational Australians, where we share stories of Australians making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. We at Inspirational Australians acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways on which this podcast is produced. We pay our respect to elders past and present and those who are emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. At Inspirational Australians, we are inspired by the world's oldest living culture and pay homage to their rich storytelling history when we share stories on our podcast. Thank you, Chrissy. Really excited to be chatting with Lindsay today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. But before we do a quick bit of housekeeping, as always, just want to remind everyone who's listening that we would love and be super appreciative of your review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, five stars only, of course, but uh, it goes without saying. What that does is it helps us to get the word out about this podcast, uh, show it to a few more people. And the hope is that we inspire a few people along the way with these great stories of amazing Australians. The other thing you can do is uh, head to our Instagram, inspirational.australians, and check out our posts about guests that we've had. We've got little clips there as well. Um, So check that out. Give us a follow. And uh, you can always engage with us. You know, please reach out to us and uh, suggest if you've got someone you think who should be a guest. Um, I'd say Instagram is the easiest way to get in touch with us. But as I said, today's back to today's guest, Lindsay. So Lindsay Dang is a very recent winner in our Seven Years Young Achiever Awards for Victoria. Lindsay won the Strategic Alliance Network Small Business Award because Lindsay founded Lindsay's VCE Tutoring, a boutique tutoring company aimed at unlocking students' academic potential in English and humanities. Lindsay bootstrapped their business from $0 in capital to a multiple six-figure annual revenue within a year while completing her Bachelor of Law and Arts at Monash. Many of their high-achieving students and scholarship recipients, inspired by their tutors, became mentors themselves to help the next generation of talents. So, Lindsay, that sounds so awesome. Welcome today. How are you going? I'm good. How are you, Josh? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm someone who received some VCU tutoring back in the day, many years ago now, when I discovered that, you know, I don't want to be too um, disparaging here, but that I wasn't really vibing and connecting with my teacher in information technologies, wasn't learning that much from his style of teaching. And I just also wasn't that good at the subject. (laughs) Got some tutoring and uh, managed to get a pretty decent end score, one that I didn't think I was going to get, that's for sure, with uh, that subject. So being on the recipient end, uh, what you do is very powerful. Um, Is tutoring something you'd always wanted to do? Is it something that popped out of nowhere? Yeah, I'd love to hear from you how you first started Lindsay's VC tutoring. Well, thank you for having me here. And um, I think I started my first year of university. But before then, I actually did some mentoring myself. So I mentored um, some of the debaters at school. And before moving to Australia, I also like mentored um, some younger students as well for English and humanity. So I like learning. And I feel like the easiest way to learn is actually to teach um that way you can articulate and I find myself learning so much more from my students um and I feel that you know that diversity of voices it's so important for anyone's experience so I 
always been into education, but I never knew that it would be a viable path for me because I wanted something exciting for my career. But at the same time, I want to always learn. So wear different hats and do a million things at the same time. So I wanted to teach. I want to read books. I also wanted to organize things. I like to draw. I want to learn coding. I want to do web development. So I feel like cheering, yes, I've always wanted to be a teacher or tutor but the other side of things the entrepreneurial side I was really surprised by how my journey turns out and so yeah short answer yes I've always been into cheering and education it sounds like you really designed you know a business uh, around you know you're listing all those things that you're interested in that you wanted to pursue and I'm just uh, picturing you know sometimes a visual you're like sitting on the floor with like all these books and like drawing the map of hmm, what is the one job that leads to all this and uh yeah it sounds like you've designed it really really well which i actually did i was sitting on the floor um it really? was really funny because um at the beginning of my journey um a friend walked in and he was like what are you doing which is like literally on the floor with papers around me trying to map everything out for the business and actually i was the one who sticked all the labels on top of the little mailers to send to my students because what we do is we actually send the resources and notes directly to the students' houses to be geographically inclusive because we believe that everyone deserves the same access to mentorship and resources. So what we do is we individually mails out all of our resources. So, yes, I sit on the floor a lot (laughs) (laughs) because it's much more space down there. But so yeah, true. I designed everything just to deliver great value for students and parents. And that means understanding what they're looking for. Because when I started my VC journey, I felt that I was really disadvantaged because I had no idea what's going on. My parents could not mentor me or like help me with VC because, of course, they were overseas. Um, so it was very, I guess, empowering to do it in the first place and very empowering to, I guess, achieve a few things um, in year 12 with that sort of unconventional story. So, yeah, I think that was the, ma- yeah, the main bit. So you had moved to Australia. You know, I've got a few questions here. Um, you know, firstly, where did you move from? And secondly, at what age? So I moved to Australia um, by myself before turning 16. So literally a few months before my 16th birthday from Vietnam. So I frantically learned as much as I could within a very short period of time, whether it be like Shakespearean literature or like canonical novels or even like random things like psychology and politics and history and all of that stuff. So I moved there. I moved to Australia because I thought I wanted a fresh start, first of all. Well, not in a dramatic way, but like a fresh start as in something that where I can build myself on the ground up and to really discover what I am actually capable of, which is um, I think was a very important part of my life. So, yeah, which is why I think I have what some people call the immigrant's mindset. So, like, internalize a lot of that outsider status and have different perceptions and believe that because I was not conventionally smart or like had the unconventional background, I just have to work 10 times as hard. Well, yeah. So, yeah, you must have had that thought even before that age of 15 to put that plan into to place. Um, what were your parents like when, you know, you were telling them you wanted to move overseas? 
Uh, my parents were a bit surprised. I think um, before I planned everything, um, I was in year 10. Um, and I was just applying to random schools and scholarships by myself. Um, my parents said, no, you will never be ready to be alone or like to be by yourself until you're in university. So I want to prove my parents wrong. And <laughs> how I was. So I applied to everything and show, look, I can get this. Spot. I can get that. spot, even if you don't want me to yeah. actually get it done. So my parents were really surprised. So they decided to support my decisions um, in the end, because one thing that parents, I guess that one thing that would really reassure parents is proactivity. And I think a lot of children at that age are very shy and passive and waiting for things to happen to them. And because my parents saw me going out of my way to apply for things and prepare myself, talk to alumni, that sort of stuff, they thought I I might be ready. And at that mm. point, they fully supported my decision and just did whatever they could to help me prepare for the journey ahead. Wow, that's really cool. Um, so you were applying for scholarships and you were able to uh, obtain one? It was really interesting because scholarships are only available at private schools. I actually went to a public school, so I applied for them, but I did not actually go to a private school. I yeah. went to high school, um, which is not far from my house now. But Q So high you went to, to where, sorry? Q High School. Yeah, and right. So at that age, moving over there and... Uh, um, were you living, you know, with a, a family or just by yourself? Yeah, I was living with a host family, um, so not with my parents. It was a different experience still. And it's sort of the experience where no one is there to hold your hand, um, which I think was really good for me because there are a lot of things that I felt that I needed to learn throughout year 11 and 12. So, yeah. of course, there are things that were happening, you know, on top of school and the academics. So I think that also were very character building. So there's a lot of, you know, parents or even anyone who's been 15, 16 themselves um, thinking they probably didn't even want to go to school at that time. And here you are looking to, you know, you were just so intentional about the way that you were trying to finish off your schooling and, and then propel your career. So I'm, yeah, blown away by that. That's so impressive. Um, when you moved to uh, Australia, what was the uh, the biggest challenge for you, do you think, at that time? Um, I think the main thing is understanding that people are different across the world. Um, I was not struggling with English. I don't think I was struggling with the language itself. But I think that understanding, for example, um, in a developing country like Vietnam or China or China, probably not China, but Vietnam and Southeast Asian countries, um, everyone is obsessed with things that are, I suppose, not say external validations, but there are things that countries that are not as wealthy look for in everyone so things like academic achievement or so a lot of people in vietnam believe that it is enough to just get your studies done so it's enough to just excel in school it is enough to know the right things and read the books but i found in australia it's completely different you have to be well-rounded you have to 
you have to be, you know, have to know everything. You need to be socially very like competent. You need to be empathetic. You need to be very aware of your surroundings. You have to be perceptive. You need to be. So I think I feel like the expectations were different. Yeah. And adapting or understanding those expectations was the first step for me that, yeah, school is amazing. Education is important. But there are a million other things that are also just as important or maybe even more important. So learning those other things like soft skills, I think was quite difficult. And but I think it um it was good that I expanded my horizon for that. Yeah. So the other thing you mentioned is that you you'd already um and correct me if I'm wrong, you've been giving mentorship already uh in Vietnam before you moved to Australia. Yes, yes. So yeah. Yeah, we did a lot of peer mentoring. And um, when I was in year 10, I went to an American bilingual school. And I was holding a couple of leadership positions. And that meant talking and helping other students out and organizing charity events or concerts or um, just working with the school to advance a lot of the social activities or like impacts. So yeah, I did a little bit of that. And in year 11 and 12 at Q High School, I did a bit of debating mentoring for international students um, who really wanted to, I, I suppose, you know, um, upskill and yeah. uh, just be involved with something quite amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. So we'll fast forward a little bit. You know, you've gone, you've come to Australia and you're doing your VCE and then you've gone on to, to university, right? and enrolled into a law uh, degree. So at that time, were you thinking, you know, casting yourself back, that you were going to be heading towards a law career? I've always been a little bit ambivalent with that. Um, I I knew it's similar to how I perceived education, really. Like, I knew that I liked the field of education, but I believe that it was not important for, because it is education or because of the scores or achievement. I thought education is important because it builds discipline. It is a very good, I suppose, you know, um, playground for students to test their skills or it is just like a mini version of life, really. And for law, I thought the same thing as well. I did not want to be a lawyer back then. I Someone taught me that I was too short to be a lawyer. What? <laughs> I have no idea what that even meant, to be a barrister, no. maybe. Um, but I did not mind. Um, I wanted to be in law because knowing how the world works is so important. Um, the laws govern everything, knowing how people work, knowing how the system works. Um, I think that is power. And it's not in terms of you know, you want to be the big guys, but I believe that law allows me to protect my own interest in these fields where we have the giants and the sharks. Um, so I knew that I would always, always need my legal knowledge, um, knowing how corporations work, how the tax system works. So, yes, I'm there for the skills and the knowledge. Um, I've never wanted to be a lawyer, um, to be in court or to be a barrister. I don't think it fits me very well, not because of my height, but it's because I think it's a different personality. Yeah. And I felt like there are other areas where my skills are better deployed. Yeah. So, yeah, on the surface, it seemed like you were taking a very, you know, you said this to me yourself um, before we started that 
a conventional path, you know, looking like you're heading down a law path, and then turn that into an unconventional uh, career. Yes, I yeah, unconventional now, but I don't think it will be that unconventional in maybe twenty years time, where every Gen Z um, student would want to become an entrepreneur. Um, I think the barriers to entry now for entrepreneurship are much lower than before. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's unconventional because um, the parents would not um, expect their children to just go out of university, let alone start a business when they're still studying. Uh, but I think it's very, very, um, it is disruptive and it is empowering because I work with other young people in my business. We have a team of 20 people who are very empowered academically talented and empathetic people who also want to mentor and nurture other talents as well so through tutoring we can do a lot of that despite our young age and um, I think that's like the only field where our youth and energy are really really valued and um, I suppose the centered yep so, yeah, that is pretty unconventional, I think, to, and you said, as you said, it may not be uh, down the track, but to be whilst you're studying, starting your own business um, and, you know, really rapidly growing it. Uh, because I assume when you started it, was it just you providing tutor- tutoring and uh, no other people at that point? Yeah, I think it went from just me and I was, I had a lot of students who had the same background. So we're thinking students who came from maybe like top 50 to 100 public schools and uh, they would come to me and they'll ask for tutoring for English and EAL and I would just be there okay I'll walk you through everything and um, I think I got around like 50 students at the very beginning on my own and it was so much so I started grouping students in like smaller groups which is I guess a very yeah, to, to just organize my life a little bit better. I found myself spending an inordinate amount of time writing analysis and study guides for every single text and books that they study. So that's a lot of writing for me. And I realized that it doesn't make sense. I'm so passionate about this and doing all of this work to help 50 students. So I've got my friends from law. Um, we've got other friends coming in who did amazingly in VCE. And we started cheering more students and I, it was essentially bootstrapped. Um, it was some zero. I used my own cheering income to fund the website, which I built myself. The first one was horrendous, but I built oh, really? it. Myself. It was not great. It was not great. It was a website, but it was not great. Um, and then I learned everything from knowing how to do low code and no code development and um, knowing how to do graphic design, did my own logo. Um, so yeah, it started from just me. Um, and I'm so glad because now there are so many different university students who found themselves in our company and wanting to create an impact. And we have a lot of students as well who graduated at the top of their class and they wanted to stay to be become tutors themselves. So I know there there is that social impact that we'll create. That's awesome. So you said that you you know had your friends in your um, law degree and things like that. Was it was it quite literally just asking some friends, uh, hey, would you help me with this? And you know, you can get paid for it. Yeah, yeah, literally. I think like a lot of people um, 
really um like a lot of people think that you know starting a business or getting people involved is very complicated like people overcomplicate the process a lot i think a lot of times for me is just literally ask the question um everything i've gotten in, in i guess you know this journey was just because i asked questions um i just will call up a friend i'll call up a teacher i'll call up maybe like the ceo of a company um it comes from knowing how to ask for help when you need the help um and yeah. i found that um no one can do these kind of things alone um so i asked for help a lot i was never scared to go out of my way and go hey can you teach me how to do like html or hey can you teach me how to I suppose, you know, draw a logo on Adobe Illustrator. So I think asking for help because most people like helping. I think yeah. I myself like helping others as well. So getting over that sort of psychological barrier was very important for me. And it was the catalyst, I think, in this journey. And I suppose asking for help and then depending on their answer probably tells you a lot about that kind of contact anyway. <laughs> it might be, uh, well, maybe you're not someone I, I want as a close contact moving forward if they're not willing to uh, give a bit of assistance. Yes. And in my journey, like I've always learned this from my mom, but to always quantify the risk and qualify the game. So yeah. every time I do something, I just think about it. Okay. If I call up this friend of mine, what is the game? Well, it's qualitatively, it's going to be amazing. I might actually have a business. What would the risk be? Well, actually, this, the friend was a little bit awkward. The interaction's a little bit awkward. I can bear with the risk. I'll do it. So yeah. I think for me it was just a lot of that assessment um, internally. Yeah, weighing it up. Um, so yeah, two really great pieces of advice for uh, young entrepreneurs out there. You know, seek you. help and don't be afraid to ask for it. And uh, I think very crucially, don't overcomplicate things. I think that's so true. Often we make something so much harder than it has to be, or as you said, think about it too much, and just sometimes just need to go simple. Yes, especially with the grand narratives out there about like startups and venture capital build like, funding and all of that. We think that in order to build a business, we need funding and millions of dollars and the right connections and venture capitalists and all of that. But I believe that many people, if they if we want to build something pure and good for ourselves and like a passion project, we can just start now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, on that point, I think some people spend so much time on the product or the offering and then they realize all right now i need to go find some customers you did the other way around you had the customers yeah. so how did you gain those customers uh you know you said you had 50 odd um students right at the start how did you manage to find 50 students i think um <clears throat> yeah I, I i'm very customers obsessed like i i focus on the group of people first i believe that i can help and then i start to sort of iterating my my products or my offering. So the first 50 students came from, I suppose, you know, little communities where I sometimes volunteer. For example, um, when I start a university and having, um, I suppose, you know, that connection with just one person. So, for example, it was a, a student who works at an education company who wants to promote Victorian education to, I suppose, you know, international students, for example. So that person asked me, hey, can you help me out? Um, can you go and talk to the students about your experience and how you, I suppose, you know, how, how you got admitted to law school? So I just went and there was like 100 students there already and I didn't know that there would be like that many people talking. Um, oh, really? Att attending the, um, the talk. How and many did you think would be there? 
was like 10 or 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge increase, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I was just there and candidly sharing my experience. And a lot of people stayed back and asking for help. So I was literally just not thinking about building a business or anything like that. I was literally trying to help those who were in my shoes. And I did a number of those talks. Um, I did um, a few talks um, for different communities and not for profits. And after that, um, students would reach out to me and ask, for help and I usually just go yeah like look like I'm quite happy to just look at your your work and review your essays but then after a while they keep asking their friends to come with them yeah. and they start building a group for me like um I did not do much um back then in terms of getting students um it was just either like lower classmen or students bringing their friends and they would ask can you like actually shoot us throughout the whole year and I said okay I'll do it and I let them set the price. <laughs> I was just like, well, I, I know you guys are struggling with like everything as well. Like literally just set the price. And they set a fair price for me. So I it was uh, um it allowed me to just keep moving with it and more friends come in. So I think I, I believe in delivering great value for everyone that I work with. And I think everything just turns out to be okay if that is the main focus, the primary focus yeah. to deliver value. And yeah, so from 10 students, each of the 10 students will tell their friends, 20, 30, 40, 50. Wow. And, and of course, there are community groups on Facebook as well. And they will just yeah. tag me in if they see something like, oh, my God, this is the best tutor ever. Um, so it started from there. Yeah. It started so organically. And, uh, you know, it started from such a beautiful place of you just wanting to help and give back. And I think that's probably why they were so, you know, um, they latched onto it so quickly and wanted to bring their friends in because they say, hey, Lindsay just wants to you know, help us out. And of course, they're willing to pay for it because it was so valuable. As you said, you focused on the value. Yeah, it was the same. Like It was really organic with the tutors as well. And I think that was also an important part of it because we know there are headhunters in the market and messaging a lot of tutors and high achievers. But for us, a lot of the tutors heard about the company from our past students yeah um and because of that we do not struggle getting the tutors to work with us either and um there are also a lot of companies in the market that charge a commission for um i guess you know giving this the tutors to students what we don't we don't do commission what we do is we have a little bit of a gap between the actual revenue and what we pay the tutors but not a lot it's literally it is smaller than an average agency but with that gap, we give them unlimited mentorship, 10,000 pages worth of analysis, um, PowerPoints pre-built for them, an office space, all the students would do all the admin work. So I think a lot of things, every cent I take from the tutor, I have to justify it really well. I think, um, yes, I am very student obsessed, but at this point, I feel like I'm also very like tutor obsessed as well because yeah. I don't believe in educators not being nurtured and being able to deliver great value so running this um you know business that's rapidly grown do you still have the um the chance to to do some tutoring yourself or are you now mainly um just organizing everyone i actually promised myself that i would never be able to empathize with my tutors unless i teach a little bit every year 
So yeah. even if I'm incredibly busy having to do a million things at the same time, I promised myself that I would still teach, um, even just a couple of students per year. Um, it's not that much time. It's two hours per week max. And because I've done all the work to mentor my tutors, I know the books, I know the curriculum. And I think it's just about a lot of people think that being CEO or founder is about vanity. I think it's about being the position to empathize and actually make an impact. So I promised myself I'll never stop teaching, even if it's just like half an hour per week or so. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's really good. So you raised something interesting to me, um, again, when we were chatting just before we got started about, um, you know, private school educated versus students who are already, you know, very uh, intelligent. Um, how do you feel that plays in, you know, because you would see VC students, obviously, from all range of the, I was going to say the spectrum, it's not the right word, but from each kind of um, background and, and that kind of thing. What do you see is that that makes a good student? I think um, in terms of background or context, I think a good student or maybe a student who is at advantage um, is someone who was raised in an environment where they're surrounded with that cultural capital or like the information. Because I think the reason why we only focus on English is because it is the one subject that is that segregates students who are at advantage socioeconomically and students who are not because with maths one plus one equals two but with english one plus one might equals feminism or one plus one yeah. equals something else and yeah. without a very good upbringing with books and like parents teaching their children about values and morality and all of that and the religion it is impossible to have an equal playing field so i think Every student is really capable of being good English students, myself included. I was not raised here, and I learned everything quite quickly as well. Um, but I think the one thing that we try to do is recreate that kind of habitus or that environment that created so many good, well-spoken, well-versed students. And that usually comes from students with parents who are politicians or lawyers or doctors or people who are just surrounding themselves with books and students who came from first-generation immigrants' background. My yeah. parents are Vietnamese and the books, you know, the books when I was growing up, they were in Vietnamese. So it was impossible for me to be that great at English. It's, it's literally impossible. So I think... And if I could learn everything myself, and I think any student could, it's just about the environment that they're in. So with the company, we try to recreate that and with intensity as well. So if I work with a student or if I choose work with a student, we try to give the news articles or like newspaper articles and information about the world that they would not have learned from their parents, that some students from really high-achieving private schools might have learned already. Um, and I think that separates a lot, you know, the students who might do well easily and those who can't. Um, yep. But at the same time, I think everyone can actually do really well. English is meant to be human. It is language. It's human. So That's really interesting. So would you say that that approach you have, you know, recreating that kind of environment is something that would set Lindsay's VC tutoring apart from potentially other tutors? 
Yes, I think that is something that is that we focus on a lot and it is one of our unique selling point. Um, I think translating that very abstract mission to what we're actually doing would make it a little bit clearer. But what we try to do is, so at school, each school in Victoria does a different set of books. So you can't teach a student who's doing Shakespeare, Jane Austen. Um, That's what most tutoring companies are doing, is that because there are 40 different books that they have to learn as companies, they do not have the time to invest themselves actually to to learn all 40 different books so they have these more generic programs and teach students who are learning Shakespeare's at school maybe Jane Austen so yeah. what we do is we spend maybe four months every year just writing analysis of every single book that is on the vcartex list and when we do that we surround ourselves with information about each of the different texts in great details so when we teach students we have not just one little book in front of us, but we have maybe like a hundred different journal articles, newspapers, sources, all of that to kind of back ourselves up. So when we teach, we are able to deliver that and create that environment with more information. So if you learn about, say, Shakespeare, and every day you see a little bit of Shakespeare in everything, it's so much easier for you to remember. Yeah. then I guess, you know, learning about Shakespeare, but everything you see is just the teal structure, essays, introductions. That is a little bit harder to apply because you need to learn the actual materials first. Yeah. I can honestly say I've never thought about it that way. Seeing Shakespeare in, uh, you know, journalism and, and things like that, that's so interesting. And your passion for it is so evident and clear. Yeah, I'm just finding it so interesting uh, thinking about that. And that's reminding me of, uh, of my, you know, English and VC and things like that as well. And one thing I wanted to mention, you're talking about the upbringing um, and parents surrounding them, their kids with books and things like that. Again, that's so relevant for me with a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old myself and the messaging that we've been receiving from the primary school around this is how many books, you know, they should have been reading before um, they start prep. And I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was very low that they were saying, this is what you should be aiming for and thinking, well, if you read your kids every night, you know, you'd just smash that number anyway. But uh, then understanding that, I guess that's not always the case that, as you said, so yourself, that if kids aren't being surrounded by books, then then that would be a big number. So is that, I'm guessing that's one of the challenges that you face with students who haven't been exposed to that kind of uh, upbringing. Yes, definitely. I I think um I I think I benefit from the fact that my mom read to me every night when I was brought up as well, and sometimes she was reading to me bilingually. <laughs> so oh, that really? Also changed things as well. But I think with a lot of um parents who have children in maybe like kindergarten or primary school, it's about making sure they have everything they need. But a lot of times, it doesn't really focus on um, I suppose, you know, the psychological or maybe like the actual the, the actual psychological well-being of the, of the students. So giving the, giving the child maybe everything they need in terms of food and nutrition is important, getting them to do sports. But what about how do we create an environment where the child is brought up to be critical thinkers, to see the world and empathize with others? That's the, the difficult challenge of 
I suppose, you know, this generation is yeah. that there is so much information out there. And the parents play a great role in being able to filter that out sometimes. Not just filter, but give meaning to everything that's around because there's a clutter of digital information. And if children are raised with iPads and playing games, all of that, maybe even looking at the game, the parent can instruct, look, this game teaches you this. Or look at this game, like it makes you competitive, but also it it teaches you strategy. Yeah. It's just a little thing that to give meaning to things around with ch- children. And I think that helps as well. It's not just about the number of books that we read. It's about why did Alice in Alice Wonderland drink because she's taught to drink? Why yeah. didn't she say, what's in here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like that. Ask a question, Alice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's interesting. That's um, yeah, it's a good point as well. And I agree with what you're saying there, uh, 100%. Um, and, you know, that's kind of, from what I've been reading, you know, doing my research on Lindsay BC tutoring is uh, is core, what you're doing about, you know, being critical thinkers and things like that as well. So what have you found with, uh, you know, speaking of uh, Gen Z, um, we mentioned that earlier, and I imagine you are part of Gen Z. Yeah. I call myself Zillennial sometimes. I, oh, like- yeah. Are you on the fringe, are you? Um, I'm 2000, so I was born in 2000. So it's not, I'm basically Gen Z, but because most of the people that I work with, like my business partners, are millennials. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was just, I don't feel the Gen Z as much as I should. Um, and sometimes when I interact with actual, like my students or like actual Gen Z people, I'm just like, I don't know this song. I don't know this trend. <laughs> so That's I don't so know funny. in the middle, but Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess my question was going to be, you know, what are you seeing as uh, Gen Z's kind of biggest challenge as they are, you know, moving through school into completing VCE and and getting out into the world? I think um, something that I see in a lot of Gen Z um, students or people is just that they have this sort of existential crisis all the time about who they are and what they're meant to do the problem with it is that of course there is that disparity between the beliefs of the parents who were going through things like recession or all of that so a very tough time economically and materially and the people who are believed to be privileged so i think that is quite problematic and it formed a lot of the issues that um, the younger students are dealing with is because they, they, there, it's there's a duality in it as well that they believe that they are lucky, but at the same time, because of that, they are incredibly unlucky. Because in the past, um, people are struggling with things like not having food in the on your tables, you know, not having enough money, and now because a lot of parents or a lot of the older generation thinks that because there's food on the table and they have money, they are lucky. So yep. that creates that repression in all of the students as well. Nobody voices their opinions about whether or not they're struggling because they're meant to be lucky. Mm. So I think that is a toxic culture in itself because I believe that once we have, so in the past we have that sort of like scarcity and with Gen Z we have abundance and there's an issue with abundance as well. They're constantly bombarded with things like achievements of others. These people raised a million dollars. The other guy got 99.95 ADA. In the past, it was just like, oh, you have fruit. That's amazing. We have a good life. But now you have to be everything and 
just everything all at once. And I think that's very overwhelming for Gen, Gen Z. And that creates really repressed people who are inherently very talented. Um, I've never heard of a Gen Z um, student who is really, really sure of themselves and know exactly what they want. It's very difficult to be like that because every time they believe that they know what they want, they see something on the internet that tell them that, no, this is not what you want. Mm. And I think they are also amazing social warriors and they are amazing, creative, critical thinkers that believe that are generally sometimes the anti-establishment, like, you know, they're very subversive sometimes, but it's just about, like, because there's so much information out there, I think it's incredibly hard to be Gen Z. Um, yeah. Are we meant to, like, go against yeah, capitalism or are we meant to go, like, to be feminist or are we meant to just enjoy life? Like, what's the problem with enjoying life? Like, are we taking it for granted? Is it... I mean, yeah, are we being privileged by just taking things for granted or things like that? It's just very overwhelming for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously with what with we do uh, at Awards Australia and run the Seven News Young Achieve Awards, you know, you're a winner yourself, is we're all about promoting positivity. But sometimes that can be a little bit uh, not misconstrued, but potentially seen as we're only promoting high achievement, absolute people at the top of their fields. But really the aim is more about just sharing positive stories, just sharing positive role models for the community. Um, but I can completely understand what you're saying, that it makes so much sense that people, there's so much more benchmarking these days just with what people are seeing in their social media feeds at the the very least. Yes, yes. And yeah, there are so much benchmarking, but also there are also so many different invisible forces and uh, pressures as well, I think. Yeah. Um, and Sometimes like I wish that they were clear benchmarks. <laughs> that would make things very much easier. Like <laughs> one generation, that that goal, that's fine. But now it's not yeah. just mark anymore. There are people who would be happy to get that top score, but now it's all about like I suppose, you know, um self-actualization. Um and what we're meant to do with our lives and how do we know how do we know that we're I guess you're doing enough for ourselves? There's no clear benchmark for that. And I think that is very stressful for a lot of people. Mm. Can I guess that you're um, quite into philosophy? No, but I really because you sound like a philosopher in some ways. A very uh, a lot of big ideas. It's fantastic. Uh, no, I, I'm yeah, I'm doing a double degree. So the other side of my degree is arts, and I do a lot of English literature in there and a little bit of sociology. Yeah, I think it's just I like like being able to talk to my students and analyze their problems and help. Like I suppose you know help them solve them sometimes through books, sometimes actual conversations. I don't have to make everything about Shakespeare. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we do talk about things like this sometimes, um, especially yeah. when they graduate with a good, good school and they realise that they haven't done nothing, you know, in their lives, for example, which is very, very heartbreaking. So you mentioned Shakespeare a few times. Um, do you have some of your students that you're, you know, tutoring kind of say, like, come on, Shakespeare isn't relevant anymore? Yes, and I don't think it's that relevant anymore. I, I actually am not the biggest fan of Shakespeare. I usually say as the epitome of English literature is to, to kind of convey how impenetrable the meaning of it is. Because when we say Shakespeare, it's synonymous with random literature for a lot of our students. And I think it's not super relevant in terms of the context, but I think all literature is relevant. Um, um, 
everything's very universal. Um, things that they teach in Shakespeare about maybe like the like vanity and like power and all of that, like in our world, we might not have Macbeth, but we have billionaires. Yeah. So I think they're quite similar. Um, it translates. And, yeah, it, it does translate, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Another question I meant to ask earlier that I skipped over it, I'm sorry, is how long has your business been operating for? I think I started um I started cheering my students um maybe in 2020, 2019. So yep. like around four years. But the company um was incorporated in 2021. So officially since um for two years now. Yeah. Yeah. Um was COVID kind of uh do you think that kind of assisted in a way, like in terms of, you know, it made um, school and study extremely hard for many students? Yes, I think um, that was actually a very big year for us uh, because a lot of students realised that they wanted, I guess, your direct interaction with teachers and with COVID. And, of course, that's also really difficult for teachers who have to adapt traditional teaching models to online learning as well and the benefit of us being young is that I adapted really quickly with everything it changed the whole system the yeah. schools are not as fast because it's more bulky so it's so not as mean, so it's really hard to adapt everything to make it work for the students um so yeah I think COVID really helped there and again I do like the idea of online learning being very geographically inclusive for students because we have students who live maybe like near the border of New South Wales and Victoria. I don't know, it's New South Wales and, um, sorry, South Australia. Yeah. So um, there are students who are in regional schools and they really want the same access to the support that students in metropolitan Melbourne schools. So I think that really changed everything and leveled the playing field. With um, obviously VCE being different to, and I don't even, can't remember what it's called, but um, the you know year 11, 12 qualification, South Australia versus New South Wales versus Queensland, so on and so on. Does that mean that your focus really has to be only on VCE or is it something that you could uh, expand the business to, to include other states? I think if I do want to expand, I would create new businesses. Um because I, again, I do believe in having smaller companies and focus on actual niche markets. Um, just because um, I think s- smaller companies are actually quite well perceived by the Australian public these days. Um, and also with VC, VC, I would love to just keep it as it is um, to just make sure that we do not compromise our quality. If we do want to expand to HSA, so the New South Wales version, I would want people to, I would want to build everything from scratch as well to make sure that I have the right people and we have the right clients first. So yeah. it's not the same, I don't think. It's about the people. So it can't mm. be the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you is because I can see it behind you. This is not uh, a very... It's not very good for the listeners of our audio-only format, but I can see behind you the uh, certificate that you would have received as a finalist in the Seven New Young Achiever Awards. So, you know, I wanted to ask you about your experience as well, being part of the awards, um, what that was like, uh, you know, initially being kind of going through nomination period and being announced as a finalist right through to the awards uh, ceremony itself. Yeah, I think it was a very it was a very important um, part of my journey. 
I've always thought, so again, maybe this is just me being a Gen Z, but um, I've always thought about awards as I think, you know, maybe they're just vanity metrics. At yeah. the, that was me at the, at the time. And I thought, you know, um, maybe I don't want to go for it. But then when I read about the Seven News Young Achievers Awards, I thought, you know, that you because the awards operate quite differently from what I've seen before, it's not about revenue. It's not about um, just metrics and business success. And I felt that everything that I really value, like community, the people, um, impact, are actually celebrated by the Seven News Young Achievers Awards. That was why I applied. Um, because I wanted to be celebrated not because I, I suppose, you know, achieve a certain revenue target or hit my KPIs. I want to, it to be because of the journey, the experience, yeah. things that can't be, I suppose, quantified. Um, and, yeah, I think everything changed for us because now it sort of reminds everyone, our students, our tutors, our team, that we are not just a number and this is a marker of our mission as well and i really love the fact there was an award that celebrates just that yeah that's brilliant to hear and it's it is so interesting in hearing your take on that and then um from me you know being on the inside we have had nominations from people who have you know huge businesses that they've founded and things like that and they the information they put into the award doesn't really actually match what the award's about. Um, they just kind of say, yeah, you know, we've got this amount of turnover, this many staff, nothing about impact, nothing about who in the community is benefiting, how they are bringing people along on a journey with them. So, yeah, it's interesting to see to see that. And these awards are definitely aimed at celebrating people like you, Lindsay, who, who do embody all those traits. So, yeah, congratulations on your win. Thank you so much. It was a, a magical night for the whole team. We've got table 10 and we were all sort of, yeah, it was surreal for everyone in the team. Yeah. So when you heard your name called out as the winner, what was uh, kind of going through your head at that moment? I was, um, yeah, I was quite surprised because I don't think I was the one with like, I suppose, you know, the highest revenue. And so I was never expecting it, really. I was just there and I was quite happy that I was finalist in the first place because it was a great milestone already. So when I, you know, when my name was called, I just heard my friends just like yelling in the audience. And yeah, I, I think I sort of like had a mental blackout for like a few minutes. I I was not sure <laughs> what was happening. I could not remember the song that was on when that happened. Yeah, so it was just really, really odd. Um, uh, it was just, <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting because I walked down and I just asked my friend. I absolutely did not remember what song was being played. Was music even like <laughs> there? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess that was my experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't remember what song it was either, actually. Um, but that's funny. Yeah, it was interesting. The finalists, you know, there was, I'd say, two of the other finalists who had a higher revenue um, in their business and one who was a lot more, like, localised, but um, it was making a really great impact in that local community. And it's interesting, you know, um, hopefully, Lindsay, you might be, you know, we might be able to get you part of judging uh, down the track one day. Um, and you'll see the conversations that happen. And, you know, when you're trying to measure impact, it's not always... Um, 
it's not always a simple number figure or a metric you know it's why you'd be so good at it because you'd be about the language and understand the impact and things like that so yeah it was a an interesting one when you're comparing businesses small businesses but in the through the lens of community benefit and social impact and things like that yes definitely i would love to well see if i have the opportunity to do so but it sounds really exciting so before we uh, wrap up, Lindsay, I do have one more question I wanted to ask you. So you've been on the Inspirational Australians podcast, and I really do want to thank you for your time. Uh, and I found you inspirational for different ways than I thought I would, to be honest. Um, so I've really, really enjoyed just the ideologies and the um, the commentary you provided around your journey, around setting up the business, uh, and the way that you view the world and for me, I'm inspired by that because, you know, I've got two young kids and one day when they get through to VCE, I hope that they have educators and teachers like you in their life who's worried about their well-being more more than just their results. So that was a really long <laughs> lead up to my question. So uh, I want to know, Lindsay, what is it or who is it that inspires you, whether that's on a day-to-day basis or uh, on bigger picture? I think there are two people. Um, that really helped my journey. First is my mom, who basically went from having nothing to being the most successful woman that I know. Um, she persevered so much, and she's the embodiment of grit and hard work. I've never seen her rest, like, and I've never seen her make any excuses about her life. She would take care of us so well while being amazing employer out there. So that was my mom. And I think I learned so much from her. I was I was raised hearing about things like investment banking and shareholders and all of that. Yeah. So I think that, that did help me with my journey. The second part is um, my teachers, um, especially my um, year 11 and 12 teachers, because I came from Vietnam and I was never a STEM-oriented kid. I was never good at maths. I was absolutely horrible at maths. And when I moved, to, and I was led to think that I was extremely untalented because I could not do anything well there. Maybe like only in English and literature, which is, I suppose, that's my strength. And when I moved to Australia, I've got amazing teachers, and I cried after my first oral presentation because I was so nervous about doing a presentation in front of everyone. Just moving to a new country, I wasn't sure if I was saying things right. Um, and my teacher was so, um, she was just so understanding and she helped me through everything and I got the top scores um, at the end of my journey. My English teacher, um, she was just absolutely amazing. And I, in year 12, I had an English teacher, another English teacher and he would mark every single one of my essay and he would just remind me that I can do whatever I want to do. Um, so I think yeah, having amazing educators and role models so important, and I, I do hope that there are other young people out there who can find those role models as well, and someone to give them a life purpose and some inspiration. And I think it is a great way to pay for it through these sort of programs. Um, yep. Hope to inspire some people one day. <laughs> I bet you have, Lindsay. Um, if there's people listening to this that are wanting to connect with you. Uh, how should they go about doing so? Um, I do have a LinkedIn page. Um, so, yeah, just search my name up on LinkedIn or my website, so lindsayenglishturing.com. So you'll be able to see my details and contact details in all of those platforms. Lovely. Well, Lindsay, 
once again, I want to thank you for your time uh, coming on to the Inspirational Australians podcast. And uh, I've really, really enjoyed this chat. And I bet that a lot of people would have gotten some really great business and kind of uh, startup tips um, from this as well, which is another thing I wasn't expecting. But some of your little uh, nuggets of wisdom were fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. It was amazing. And it was, um, yeah, it was a great honor to be able to talk about my experience this way. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. The Inspirational Australians podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia. We recognise, celebrate and share the stories of inspirational Australians through our awards programs across the country. To find out more, to nominate an inspirational Australian in your life or to partner with our awards, visit awardsaustralia.com. If you enjoyed today's story, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review to make sure you don't miss an episode and to help our guests reach more people with their inspirational stories.